welcome to the New Money Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Simon Lelivelt, who's a regulatory and compliance consultant working in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Simon is a specialist on payments, banking, electronic money, virtual currencies, and financial technology, and has been working in this area since the mid-1990s. So he really is a pioneer in the areas that have since become highly prominent, especially with the arrival of cryptocurrencies and the announcement of plans like Facebook's new Libra project. Simon, thank you very much for joining the New Money Review podcast. You're welcome. Uh, uh, Over the last decade, we've seen um, a trend towards the separation of the credit-creating function of banks and banks' role as payment provider. What's caused this trend and and why does it matter? Um... Well, you could say it's a, it's, a, it's a recent trend, but you could also reverse it and say, well, traditionally, if you look at the money system, you always had two types of uh, players, which is one uh, is the cashiers who hold money and, and store it safely for you. And the other one is banks. Uh, but over time in history, uh, the cashiers lost out to banks. And now with new technology, as of the uh, late 1990s, you see the reemergence of the business model of entities that basically take care of payments, store the money safely, send it onward uh, without bothering about lending mortgages uh, or, or all that kind of banky, uh, banking stuff. So uh, so it's more a re-emergence of a, a separate business function, which is transportation of uh, money and transportation of funds and safekeeping of funds uh, without lending those funds onwards so it's it's uh, the the i would say the old classic cashier model i don't know what the proper english wording is but we would say a cashier i guess a cashier is that the i mean is, is it correct to call it full reserve banking uh the where the bank holds 100 percent of the customer deposits and, uh, and issues yeah yeah it, issues it would be correct but but yeah. historically uh the banks are a late invention so the, the, the cashiers are earlier than banks because traditionally you would be a, a sort of a, a merchant having funds. You bring the funds to someone who, who stores the funds and doesn't do anything other than that. So so the the full reserve banking is, is a good term for people right now. <laughs> but if you listen with historical ears, then it sounds a bit strange because the, the cashiers were earlier. Yeah. So, so in, a, in, a, in a sense, we're going back to the origins of, um, of banking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, exactly. We're we're going back to previous business models. That's right. Oh, okay. And you've recently published an article saying that the the model of the full reserve bank is is up for grabs in in Europe at least. Why why do you think that is not kind of why is it up for grabs? What what why have people not grasped this opportunity uh, uh, fully in your opinion? Yeah. Well, I noticed that in the Netherlands, for example, uh, after the crisis, we had a huge discussion on the question. Can you set up a full reserve bank, as uh, as, you, as we better call it, because that's understandable for everyone? Uh, and then there's a lot of discussion, which regulatory regimes could you use to do so? Um, and in my view, the debate is really a sort of um, a theoretic academic debate, whereas it's, it's fairly simple to set it up in, in practice. You only need a, a sort of a political decision which way you want to go. Uh, but right now, for example, you have a company, uh, the, the, the new bank, uh, which is called Bank in the Netherlands, uh, is almost for, for 98% of the funds in, in that company that you're holding as a customer are, are basically stored away at the ECB. So if, if you want a full reserve bank, you could go to Bank Bank in the Netherlands. And, and that's where the money uh, effectively is being stored with the ECB. So so And there are a couple of ways 
in which you can uh, create a full reserve bank, either by making it a completely uh, public institution, either by saying, we'll leave it to the market. So let, let's see if market develops it. And, and if I'm in a market, I can make this kind of bank, although I can't make it profitable, but I can, I can set it up. Um, and then there's the in-between version, which is the public services of general interest solution. Uh, it's like the old uh, the old obligation that existed to have uh, phone booths uh, in the streets every 200 meters or so. It's where the government says, I find this a uh, service of general interest to the public. I will seek someone that provides it for me and I'll I'll give him a certain amount of money for it. And this is a European regulatory regime that you can use um, and, and that governments could choose and could just say, well, we want a full reserve bank. This is the money we uh, we want to spend on it, and then then private players in the market may opt to provide this service. So there are three flavors: public institution services of general interest, or leave it to the private uh, private market. And it's just a matter of doing and choosing, rather than discussing very philosophical, interesting deposit guarantee stuff and all that kind of stuff. We can do it. We can start with it. So. <laughs> so, and in your opinion, this would make the financial system as a whole safer and 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 relieve the pressure for you know, pit, you know regular bailouts of of banks that have overextended themselves. Um, well, that that's that's a sort of a, a next discussion. Um, or what what are the functions, or, or what functions could such a bank serve in society? Um, it could certainly be good for uh, stability. And and it would certainly be good as a as a as a choice factor, but uh, the the thing is the, the question is does does the public really want it? Uh, so so there's a huge question. Uh, in theory, you could say, well, it has a very good role, but in practice, who cares? And that's that's a bit that's a bit of the that's a bit of the issue. And and if then the theoretical possibility of having the option around. Is that banks uh, that there may be bank runs from banks towards these kind of players? Then you can see central banks also becoming concerned in terms of financial stability. Like, well, okay, so if we're going to allow these kind of private institutions doing this, we would really want to make sure that it's own that that people aren't going to store their money at those players, and it's only for payment ser- services or payment purposes. So it's it's. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a, tradic- a, a tricky discussion if you take it from the uh, financial crisis perspective, but it's a fairly easy discussion if you take it from the uh, Facebook Libra perspective, because that has really been the game changer um, in in the whole discussion. Okay, let's let's talk a bit about Facebook and Libra. So, you know, why has it been a game changer, and what's what uh, you know what specific impact has it had on the way regulators and and governments look at what's going on? Well, if if you look at uh, central bank digital currency, if you look at full reserve banking, this was all the remit of what do we do after the financial crisis? Can we make stuff more stable? And how do we do this? And what are the pros and cons? Very theoretic debate, a good debate, but in the end, it turns out no one wants, wants full reserve banking really, so it doesn't matter. Now, what happens, Facebook is sort of doing a copycat approach of, of Bitcoin. What Facebook wants is world dominance, um, and it wants to create its own currency. That's pretty obvious from the Libra uh, proposal. Um, it's also obvious that they don't, they don't, they didn't comply at first with all the relevant regulations and such. Um, but the 
it sparked the realization within central banks that, oops, oh, what happens if Facebook is starting to do this? Then we get a worldwide player. Imagine that, for example, Facebook. So Facebook chose a very complex system where they sort of created a mutual money fund and you get the Libra was a share of it, et cetera, et cetera. But let's, let's assume that Facebook does just the proper ordinary e-money under the e-money legislation. If that would happen, uh, what, what usually happens is if you have e-money, is that there's the legal obligation that the funds that are in the system for this the, the counter value of these Libra coins, uh, and let's call them now Facebook e-money because that's sort of where they want to head. So they're going to do a Facebook e-dollar, uh, e-pound, e-euro. But the equivalent of this euro must be in a bank account. Okay, so now take the amount of numbers of Facebook, multiply it with the amount of money that then sits in some bank account of Facebook at a number of banks in the world. If they move a, a fraction of these, so so take a billion, billion users, let's assume they only put $10, $10 or euros into uh, into their Facebook account, That then even so, this creates a, 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 a chunk load of money that the treasurer of Facebook or Libra, whatever, I mean, this is a game, what you call it, so I'll call it Facebook, uh, the treasurer can move this money from the one bank to the other bank with a with a with a flick of a switch. So 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 the the instability features of having a properly regulated e-money system uh, issued by Facebook are already quite considerable, and that's why we see this whole string of reports coming out of the central banking system saying, "Oops, my uh, listen, guys, if there's going to be an international and and then they call it a stable coin." But stablecoin is a different wording for what effectively uh, can be considered in Europe as e-money, yeah. uh, electronic money uh, being used uh, as on a, with a one-on-one pack to an existing uh, fiat currency. Yeah. So, uh, so, so the realization that the e-money model, or the e-money regulatory model, did not take into account, uh, and that that's because it's more than ten years old, the existence of worldwide platforms. So we're now seeing that central banks wake up to that reality. And given the fact that if you do this properly, there's no way you can you can sort of stop Facebook in its tracks from doing e-money. Uh, you see that on the one hand, they, they push the brakes towards uh, the, the Facebook initiative and say it needs to be properly done. And effectively, if you have an international type of currency, we may want to stop you in your tracks. And at the same time, central banks who are... Uh, uh, sort of getting out of the cash segment in their societies because cash is increasingly being dumped and and rather than that, uh, electronic means of payments are being used. Um, So you see the central bank suddenly realizing we need to fill our own gap. If we throw away cash in our society, we need to replace it ourselves with a digital currency that does the same as cash. Um, uh, And not just for replacing cash, but also for being a competitor to uh, private money forms, whether that's Facebook or Google money or Apple money, it doesn't matter. It could be the Chinese digital currencies, could be anything. Um, so we can really see that the Libra uh, created a, a, a watershed in the thinking of central banks and understanding, oh, we need to move on. We need to start issuing our currencies ourselves. We need to reconsider the regulatory regimes for these international uh, e-money coins. Yeah. Is it too early to say what the optimal design of a central bank digital currency might be, let's say, in Europe? Should it be something that's uh, an account at the central bank? Is it something that's a, 
a token that could be passed from from hand to hand, peer to peer, or are these discussions discussion still uh, going on, and we haven't reached a conclusion yet? Um, I think um, I, I, I think the discussions are ongoing, but if you were to ask me what I would say, then I would say. First of all, I would say the the difference between a token or uh, an accounts-based system is only sort of minimal. Uh, Technically, or or in a regulatory sense, it's all money from the central bank. So either it's in the sort of pocket money on your phone, but it's somehow represented somewhere. But but, um, you could could sort of look at the um, nature of the account relationship or the nature of the tokens, and then then you can see central banks saying we are going to issue it, but they don't want the anonymity of cash. So yeah. so what I think what you would want, technically speaking, is a system that doesn't need a central online verification every second. So it could function as cash. You want anonymity so that it can function as cash. You need the literal equivalent of cash. And that's where you see central banks saying, well, we're almost going to do that except for the anonymity part, because we want to catch yeah. books. So yeah. we're going to put in some surveillance mechanism. And that's where they make a huge, huge fundamental philosophical mistake. But yes. yeah, that, that's because there's a train of thought about catching crooks that, that yeah. that's unstoppable already for 20 years. But but the desirable function would be literal equivalent of cash, uh, yeah. to be able to be exchanged peer-to-peer, even when all batteries go down, except for the two batteries of our two devices, we can exchange money on our two devices. That's the kind of mechanism you want, the literal equivalent of cash. Uh, but we're not. We're, we're certainly not going to get there. But but that's 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 what they should do, in in my view. You, you mentioned that Facebook has been forced to to backtrack a bit from its initial plans. So they they're, they're no longer promoting this uh, basket currency idea. They're yeah. looking at uh, individual currencies, stable coins. Um, you also mentioned earlier that uh, you know we could see something, some version of Google Coin or Apple Coin. You know, if we look forward to ten or twenty years, um, is it you know? I, I mean, it seems. These tech companies have got huge scale, huge scope. They have, everybody uses their products. I mean, are governments going to be able to compete with what uh, with what these uh, companies are issuing? If they, you know, if it's if they can make money move very seamlessly across their uh, networks and platforms. Um. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good question. I'm I'm a bit hesitant uh, in answering it to the fullest. Um, because it's right now what what we will. I mean, obviously, they have to be regulated at, at some some point. They have to they, they have to be have a an e money license or a. a well, even, license. yeah, yeah. So so there there there's going to be a bunch of rules to be applied and such. But 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 bottom line will be there will be private currencies where you throw away your privacy and build, you will be fully digitally surveilled, and you'll have some central bank currencies where you're still be will be surveilled. But it's luckily it's in the hand of banks. Or of central banks, and if something goes wrong, you don't you don't lose out your money because your money effectively is with the central bank, so it's safer than with a regular bank. Um, so, so that's sort of the, um, yeah, sort of the the horizon. Uh, but but you could imagine, uh, but that's that's there's a third track which which is um, uh, that that requires taking into account the current developments with respect to the coronavirus. Um, we are going to get a a huge monetary confusion because everyone's printing money to solve some some current problems, 
um, and and economy is going to reshape in forms that that we cannot imagine. Uh, but we can see some of the highlights where we're moving towards, which is a more localized economy. Um, yes. It could be an economy where where you have the reemergence, not necessarily of community currencies, but of perhaps similar ideas or similar concepts. So there may be a different track of currencies that we are unable to grasp with our minds at this moment. Um, uh, and of course, we already have the the uh, other alternative, the, the Bitcoin uh, proposition, which which is the true sort of uh, uh, international. Uh, let's say, yeah, it, it also has a sort of a philosophy, but it doesn't have these these the huge power bases behind it, um, uh, such as Facebook or central banks. But it's also an alternative. So so the the future outlook, the future. Uh, monetary and payments landscape will be a lot of private initiatives, some big tech private initiatives, some central bank private uh, initiatives. But we have the Bitcoin on the one side, but we all may also see a new class emerging uh, that that we may not be able to fully capture uh, in our minds yet. Yeah. Sort of. It all I, sounds I, very I confusing. But, about it, but I, I don't want to. Be too explicit on those on those ideas because that would give Facebook a way out of, of, of the discussion where they go, and I don't want to give yeah. them hand them that goodie. So, yeah, yeah. it sounds like a, a confusing future landscape if we have a mixture of kind of global cryptocurrencies, national digital currencies, uh, you know, social media firms issuing issuing some kind of money, and also local and community currencies. It's going to be a very uh, complex landscape to navigate. Yeah, but that, that's, I mean, uh, at present, there's also a huge amount of local currencies and local payment methods, and, and people ma manage fine, because on average, you'll choose seven or six of those for your daily life, and that's enough. So the fact that, that 200 different payment types exist doesn't matter. You'll, you'll, you'll find your way in and limit the choice to the ones you want. Uh, but that doesn't make the, the, the world of 200 or 300 less confusing, of course. So that's the observer's problem versus the actual consumer that, that basically takes a couple of preference, uh, preferred uh, methods and then moves on. Yeah, we've seen, um, you know, you mentioned central banks, regulators have, have spent a lot of time you know, thinking about these areas uh, in the last uh, few years. Um, you know, how joined up is regular, regulatory thinking now when it comes to uh, questions of e-money, virtual assets, cryptocurrencies? Is, is there a level playing field or are there still some huge gaps that are being exploited? Um, how do you mean a level playing field? Within countries, you mean? or No, I mean, I'm talking globally uh, or, or, millet, I mean, or even within Europe. Um, you know, are there, are, is, is, the, is the regulatory framework now you know, pretty well developed? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Consistent? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 if we, if we look at central bank digital currencies, that's actually a really old concept. So, in the 1990s, the Danish central bank uh, issued Denmund, which was their version of central bank issued digital currency. It was at the time and age of of prepaid phone cards and stuff, uh, uh, IC chips, where electronic money was being issued. You had Olympic Games with Visa electronic money on chip cards and that was really the hot hot thing to do that those are the days of e-cash the electronic money on the internet and and when this happened it really uh, ignited a worldwide regulatory response by central banks and and um you can see in some of the reports of the BIS that I was on a team that at that point in time uh, investigated the security of electronic money so basically we took all the electronic money schemes of the 1990s we we took them apart we asked uh, the builders to explain 
how does it work? How do you safeguard all the stuff? Uh, and we came to the conclusion, well, okay, if you do your crypto work, uh, homework properly, you can do this this e-money stuff on the internet or in, on IC cards in a safe manner, but it requires a proper governance. So that requires a good regulation of the security features and so on and so on. But the whole uh, the whole mindset, the whole thinking of what are the implications of electronic money, um, in my view, the, the whole stablecoin discussion uh, has this added feature of international platforms like Facebook, which weren't there before. But the fundamental thinking that was being done uh, at the emergence of e-money in the 1990s is basically still still the, the heartbeat under the under all the stablecoin discussions. So I'm really looking at this like this is a sort of um, reignition of a previous debate with some new added features that need to be taken into account. And effectively, these international the 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 whole idea that a company could exist that would issue its own currency unrelated to other currencies except for a small basket but issuing your own unit of account that's that's effectively what what facebook is willing to do and is still aiming for but they'll take it now in a stepwise approach they want to issue their own unit of account so they really want to create a world on top of the world or a world next to the world and that yes. that's the that's uh, that's the element that has been has not been on the minds of regulators in the 1990s, but all the other elements of instability, monetary stuff, and how to do this properly, have all been well fleshed out. So, and there and there's an international convergence within central banks on how to deal with it. Uh, and now with the uh, Facebook initiative, the uh, whole game was being played out again. So there was an emergency button being pushed in central banking. And then everyone assembled and started to look at the implications of this Facebook e-money type, because that would really turn the world upside down. So, so there's this renewed uh, convergence on the policy front of central banks or, uh, that this is not desirable and has uh, serious risks involved. Right, but you, I mean, you, you mentioned that in, in Europe, you know, you've been looking at this for more than two decades. Um, um, I read in one of your articles that there, you know, there's historically been a, a, a difference of approach between Europe and, for example, the US, where um, you know, the U.S. has always had state-level laws on on payments, whereas Europe has developed a kind of harmonized approach over the last 20, 25 years. Is that still a problem, or is, 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 are the, you know, the international standards now converging? Well, it, it, it's good that you mention it, because it, it allows me to explain that the terminology of stablecoin um, arises from from the U.S. context mostly. So in the 1990s, the European countries didn't have payment laws. But we did have this stuff like e-money. And then the question was, how do we regulate it? So we created specific laws to regulate digital forms of money that are one-on-one related to fiat currencies. So we specifically regulated stablecoins, although we didn't call them stablecoins at that point in time, because we didn't have the payment legislation. Now, on the other side of the ocean, the Americans had this money money transmission laws in all, each of the uh, uh, states. Um and they basically said, well, yeah, this, this new form of money somehow or the other is, is like money transmission. We don't need to write new laws for this. Um, but, but yeah, still applying these money transmission laws to, to stable coins is, is well, it's, it's a solution, but it's not uh, as a design, uh, not, by, not by definition the best, the best way to, to do this. So, so there's the whole discussion, how do stablecoins fit in the US framework that is more complex for their world than it is for the European world? 
Um, so so we're we're not not on the same page exactly on on this matter. So okay. the the um, the, um, the uh, New York uh, license bit license regime sort of yeah. is like the e money regime of Europe. There there are some yes. similarities. Yeah. Right. Um, Simon, you're a, a financial historian and, and I, you're based in the Netherlands, where, which has a very rich uh, history of financial innovation. You know, how uh, significant in, in, in the context of you know, financial history uh, you know, is, is what's going on now, you know, the, the invention of cryptocurrencies, uh, this sort of, uh, maybe split of the banking system and uh, the kind of a reversion to earlier models of uh, cashiers or payment institutions. It, it, you know, can you put things in a historical context and what's you know what excites you most about what's going on at the moment um well what what we can see is that the um uh, that information technology uh, by tra- tradition was sort of in the hands of of a limited group like governments defense and banks and as information technology becomes more widespread more more cheaply widely available more cheap uh, it allows a broader user base to use the same technology and in the end the emergence of Bitcoin is the logical consequence of the democratic effects of um, uh, information technology. Um, And this requires um, a a different mindset for regulators um, and the world to to understand that that the classical way of thinking in terms of producer-consumer is outdated. Uh, we need to reconfigure our mindset where each consumer can be a producer, whether it's in payments or whether it's in, in generation of solar energy, um, uh, whether it's the, the Airbnb, you can become a, a sort of like a, an apartment manager. or, or, yeah. or a, So, so there, this is the real fundamental element that, that uh, increased net availability of networks and ICT provides to um, as a challenge for uh for society and this hits payments world as other worlds as well um and well it's it's uh it's it's a challenge to see how um uh, if you take this uh, a bit further towards the future of uh in the, in the payments area um there is of course this this need to have a sort of centralized unified system so that everyone use them you have a network effect but I think there's also going to be space for more individualized payment systems, global, local systems, or other variations um, that we don't know yet. So there's an exciting future ahead of us still. And, and that uh, brings me to the question of, of governance. I mean, how do we um, clearly the, the model of having a, a single national regulator or central bank doesn't seem adequate to, to cope or to, to look after some of these global networks. Some of them may even be self-governing. Uh, I think Bitcoin must be a very interesting experiment in that uh, regard. How do you think our models of governance are going to have to, models of financial governance are going to have to evolve to cope with what's going on? Uh, I think generally speaking, the regulatory models need to um, need to adapt um, and we need to uh, create a sort of a free enterprise space for each individual. Um, so that I can, on an individual basis, decide to uh, do uh, transactions or issue my own form of money or rent out stuff without being being immediately labeled as a huge company that needs to fulfill all kinds of license requirements and stuff. And that means for payments legislation, for example, that you could say 
uh, I'm going to distinguish uh, currently in the payment services directive, for example, it says if you are providing payments, then you need to comply with all kinds of uh, specific requirements as to consumer protection. But that's it's very strange that that payment methods can exist that are being widely used, like the public transport payment mechanism here in the Netherlands, which doesn't fall under the payment services directive. So you need to say, if you issue a payment instrument which is larger than XYZ, we don't care about the actual form, but here's the baseline of consumer protection rules, and everyone needs to comply with that. And then if it really qualifies as a financial instrument, there's this whole prudential layer of of regulation and then if it's really too small to to be worthwhile investigating we only have this very strict base layer of consumer protection rules so that you separate out in in layers of regulation applicable to different layers of providers and do and not assume that each provider will be a professional company but allow for the fact that underneath in the value chain we will have uh, small households providing services and and we shouldn't burden them with a whole bunch of uh, bunch of regulation. That that's sort of uh, my 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 two pennies worth, I, I guess. Thank you. And, and let me finish with a question on on uh, privacy. Um, you, you know, you mentioned earlier that uh, in, in your opinion, uh, digital cash should be you know as as private as uh, as paper cash, uh, paper banknotes and coins. Um, even though regulators and central banks might not you know, see things that way. And more broadly, what uh, you know, digital money is uh, is 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 clearly traceable unless you put some special algorithms into it. Um, you know what? What are our, or what should be our expectations of privacy in a in a digital digital age? Um, you know what? Uh, how do you think the global debate on that is going to evolve? Well, I think the global uh, debate is a done deal on the on the terrorist finance level. The FATF last year basically created a catch-all decision whereby every non-financial instrument that does work in some way as a payment or a financial instrument mechanism digitally will be uh, qualified as such. So it will be a non-financial instrument category that needs to behave like a financial instrument. So if I build a blockchain where I collect, where I may, where I uh, sort of, uh, where I put my energy coins onto a blockchain and each energy coin is one kilowatt hour that I can transfer to someone else, to my grandma or someone else. I, I'm just a producing unit. I produce electricity, send it onwards to other people. And there's, of course, this, this whole industry in between that, that helps me in doing that. Um, but the essence of this virtual asset regime of the FATF is that for each token that you send, you must send your name and the name of the one you send it to. You must include it in the token or do something equivalent. And this is the travel rule. This is the travel rule being applied on all economic processes in the world. The travel rule is outdated garbage from 20 years ago. Um, and it needs to be taken out completely on the basis of the fact that the assumption is that everyone is innocent. The assumption is not that everyone is guilty. And that's a fundamental privacy uh, assumption that needs to be respected within those systems as well. So that's where we need to focus our, our energy to to get this kicked out in courts as we, we, we started a good deal in the Netherlands with a Siri case where, where we had a, a, a privacy rule being more important than government uh, thieves catching. But we need more of these courts outlining the base rules that the innocence presumption and the privacy rules under the, the treaties of human rights are more relevant than this, this whole bunch of data that we're gathering and where over 20 years we haven't caught anyone uh, properly so so that that's really we need to change that in time because otherwise we're creating a nightmare in terms of surveillance 
Simon, thank you very much for your time. Yep, you're welcome. New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. Money is changing fast. It's moving more quickly and cheaply. It's becoming more intelligent and more transparent. At the same time, it's becoming more complex and for many of us, more annoying. If you'd like to support New Money Review, you can do so in two ways. On the right-hand side of our homepage, newmoneyreview.com, you can find a link to our Patreon account, P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash newmoneyreview. There you can make a regular payment to support us. Or if you'd like to make a donation in cryptocurrency, you can find our Bitcoin and Ethereum addresses also on the right-hand side of our homepage. Thank you.